Come on, would someone tell me what's going on here? He's just a kid. Just learned how to shave, and he's piloting that thing? Welcome to It's a Gundam, the Gundam Seed episode-by-episode podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. Buster Rifle. Buster Rifle. I'm Tyler. I've always been partial to Vulcans. Yeah, or they're, just... They're cool. They're not just very... They're just very not effective. Man, my name is Zach. I mean, they're good for taking out not mobile suits. Incoming enemy missiles. Yeah. Tanks. All sorts of uses for Vulcans. Wasn't like Shenlong's thing that it had fancy Vulcans? I think Wing Zero had the machine guns in the... Shoulders, if that's what you yeah. mean. Yeah, Wing Zero definitely had machine guns in its shoulders. I thought, like, literally all of the Gundams in Wing had that. No, they're all in the head. Oh, that's lame. The EZ-8 has a giant chest Vulcan. From 08th MS team. I think the Heavy Arms has Vulcans in its chest, too. As, like, Gatling Vulcans. I think it also has standard Vulcans. When did that become a thing? This is a Vulcan gun. I think they call them Vulcans somewhere. Probably the original Gundam. Eh, quite possibly. That would be my guess. Although, to counteract Buster Rifle, Gundam Hammer, or else yeah. Gundam Javelin! Ah, uh, Gundam Javelin's the best. It is, actually, although it's actually a terrible move. It's just fun. But enough about Gundam Battle Assault 2, a game you should play if you like Gundam and haven't. We're here to watch Episode 3 of Gundam Seed, called Collapsing Land. If you haven't watched our previous episodes, well, they're podcasts, so you would listen to them instead. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't listened... I could post to... them on YouTube, then you could watch them. There just wouldn't be anything going on. We might. If you haven't listened to our two previous episodes, you can find them on www.lasttimeonvideogames.com. But if you don't want to for some reason... Tyler, what's the story so far? There are these guys, they're called Zaft. They attack a neutral colony that's harboring some Federation... Well, I'm sorry, Earth Forces prototype mobile suits zap goes and steals all but one of them then kira jesus yamato gets into one of them and is like guess what i can program an entire os and hot patch the kernel while it's still running and fight them off you forgot the deuteragonist athern zala who is uh, kira's childhood lover (laughs) who who went to zaft when his parents moved away yeah is one of the people who stole the mobile suits that's right athern goes and tries to kill kira and he's like Kira? And then they both have a romantic flashback with each other with cherry blossoms and Negaverse Atherin. And <laughs> technically he's trying to kill somebody else, not Kira. Also, Kira has friends. Yeah, uh, apparently yeah. he has friends. That yeah. puts him over Amuro Ray, who is just in his boxers fixing computers, ignoring <laughs> alarm sirens in the first episode. Honestly, that's exactly what I'd be doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. We know. He's 100% relatable. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Who's kiss Kira guy with his friends and... And his doing Jesus skills. And his apparent job. Wait, he has a job? I always figured it was like an internship or something with Morgan Wright. It seems like a work-study thing to me. It yeah. seemed like a graduate position to me. Like, he was going... That's his master's he's project. He's 16. His job-like affair there. That's but not uncommon in Germany. He's, he's clearly in college, so don't get me wrong. Yeah. Because he's moved away from his parents. But age is weird in this game. Game? Show. Yep, it's a game. It's a game show. It's called Who's Gonna Die Next? Okay, who's your bet on, Tyler? On who's going to die next. Oh, wait, you've seen this episode, huh? Yeah, Because we watched it beforehand. (laughs) I vote Atherin. Definitely going to die this episode. It's going to be a tragic motivator for Kira for the rest of the series. So with that, let's go ahead and start episode three of Gundam Seed Collapsing Land. 
you get basically the same recap of all the events that led up to the war as you got in the last episode. Yeah, the stuff Tyler just told you. There uh, are these guys named Zaft, and I guess there's an Earth Federation. Also a bloody Valentine tragedy of some sort that you still don't know about, really. The thing that I've noticed is that the end of the recap begins with an, or I guess ends with the recap of the last episode's ending, except the recap is slightly different than how the episode actually ended. Like, characters say different things or, like, slightly different events yeah. happen. It tends to be from a different perspective or things are embellished on a little bit. Yeah, it's mostly embellishment, I think. But, like, in this, you get uh, La Crusade saying different things in response to the warship and Kira going, I have beam weapons, which is definitely not something he said at the end of the last episode. Beam cannon? Wasn't it labeled? Yeah, it is, actually. So, but Wasn't he in the ship when it was getting put on, though? Everyone questions the emergence of a massive ship just blasting its way into the colony. Apparently, that doesn't actually cause explosive decompression. So what they did there was get rid of a bunch of rubble in front of them. What was the actual exit strategy for that I don't ship? Know, was it blast through like, the side of the landscape? <laughs> I think they got turned around or something. I'm well, not how? sure. How? Like that, that, the it bay might... was not big enough to turn that ship around in with, due to the blast. Kids, don't make me turn this ship the, around. Well, Unless it might have been a thing that they were supposed to turn around when they take off, and they couldn't because... Unless they blasted their way through a bunch of rubble and ended up getting turned around in the docking bay, but I don't... They made it seem like they had to fire their weapons at some rubble at the exit, and then they went out the normal exit, but the normal exit goes out into the middle of the colony. I have no idea. Moral of the story, it's a really cool entrance. Convenience. It does look cool, yes. The white base never fired its way into a colony. It should have. Very few things actually are going to shoot their way into a colony. Yeah, they mostly shoot the colony down onto the planet. Or they try to plant nuclear bombs on it. All right, so we just said the Archangel is coming through. The crew is being appraised of the situation. They realize the strike is in combat. They shoot some missiles at Le Creuset, who just kind of dodges them, and they hit the colony, which is bad because it's already pretty screwed up. She's like, okay, fire the missiles. Make sure not to hit that shaft. And the first thing he does is hit the shaft. <laughs> does that crewman ever get a name? Which crewman? The helmsman? Missile firing dude. I think he does, but it's mentioned once. Oh. Okay, so he's that level of important. They're the standard bridge crew. They're, they're there the entire time, but they never actually... I don't just, know if they do get... Look named. at how nervous she, she's like, make sure not to hit the shaft, and he's like, oh crap, I better not or hit the, the ground. Shaft. What else are you going to hit if missiles miss? They're not the just going suit. to destroy. Other than hitting Crusade, you're either going to hit Laflaga or the Strike. Is Laflaga out right now? Yeah, he's he, still he's cruising there. around. His gun is shut off, so he's just kind of flying around. Yeah, they, they showed him earlier when the Archangel first showed up. He hasn't actually done anything yet. Also, uh, Le Creuset used his fancy machine gun on the strike, and with the base shift armor, it still did nothing, which he was surprised about. And he's like this random acronym of bullets. So Kira decides with the shaft being hit, things are bad, so he takes out the giant beam cannon that's been equipped on the strike, shoots at Le Creuset, which destroys his arm, but also makes a giant hole in the colony that's sucking out air. Very reminiscent of the first episode of Mobile Suit Gundam, when Amuro destroys the Zaku, but does it improperly so it explodes and damages the colony. I, I like blame Tenant Ramius for that, because she equipped him with the single most dangerous weapon she could have in this situation. It was situation. the only one that they had on hand, though. Yeah. So. And, and spoilers for, you know, like 30 episodes from now, so do the top brass. And then we see Athrin doing a Kira and, like, reprogramming the entire operating system or running complex diagnostics or something while also having, like, daydreams about Kira. Well, the other so. ones did it as well when they were stealing theirs. So they're all coordinators, obviously. Yes, and we'll find out what those are kind of this episode. It's weird to me that it takes this long because, you know, Toonami had those pre-rolls before shows. The explanation of coordinators was in there, 
So like I knew about it from the beginning. It's weird to me that we go two full episodes before hearing about it. Anyway, La Crusade comes back, his arm's blown off, and everyone's like, he must have fought a really powerful enemy to lose his arm. And Atherin's like, that's not possible, unless it was him. I'm really surprised that they still need arresting gear and the standard trappings you would need on an aircraft carrier in space. I think it's rule of cool. Also momentum. I'm willing to go with that. I just find it interesting that they have it. I would argue you would need it more in space because you have less air resistance. Conversely, you have thrusters to stop your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you're not coming in at, like, Mach 3 like we are having To be fighters fair, land we're going to see Mulaflaga get crashing into the Archangel cockpit quite a few times. Wait, the cockpit? Cockpit, what did I mean? Hanger? Uh, hanger, there, thank you. So anyway, the Archangel picks up the strike. They're happy to see Lieutenant Ramius. But then when they see Kira get out, they're all concerned and confused. Well, they're all like... Wouldn't you be? My biggest problem is, how could a kid like him pilot that? He's in college. Clearly, kids do things in this setting. Why is it a surprise? Yeah, I don't get it either. I think it's more concern over, hey, a random civilian is in our super secret military weapon. That makes And more sense. here comes, you know, everyone's talking about Kira being on there. LaFlaga shows up, introduces he just, himself, and he he's just like, like, I'm a badass. He just, swaggers up, too. <laughs> and also, he diffuses the situation by doing it, which I think is kind of intentional on his part. Maybe I'm reading into it. I well, think it I believe totally it. is. Given I, the way he behaves throughout the rest of the episode, I totally see him doing LaFlaga that on purpose. LaFlaga is a total badass. No, he has the pin and everything. He is Char from Zeta Gundam, who is best Char. Isn't that where it's good guy Char? Yeah, exactly. Who's disguised as sunglasses, which isn't a mask, so no one should know who he is. But he still paints his mobile suit bright red and goes out, and people are like, oh, hey, Char. He's like, I'm not Char. Yep, whatever you say, Char. Anyway, LaFlaga asks and, for permission to board the Archangel. And we find out that he's actually the highest ranking individual on this ship. He's also a lieutenant, so he's equal in rank with Lieutenant Ramius. Uh, he's, but no, he's got her on seniority. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, he claims to outrank her later in the episode. It's on seniority. They are the same rank. He does have well, higher I, authority. I think he's a first lieutenant, and she's just a lieutenant. Well, the Japanese military is different than ours, so sometimes oh. that's hard to translate. So it might be something like that. Anyway, they end up giving the listener. ownership of the ship to Ramius. Yeah, because as Natarl explains, everyone else is dead. She's the highest ranking person still there, at least from their group, since obviously LaFlog is an outsider, and since his ship blowed up, he wants to hang out with them. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, he could hang out on this sweet colony. It's going to be around for a while. And then it turns around to who the hell is Kira again. And Moo makes the deductive leap that he is, in fact, a coordinator based on watching him fight. This causes all the Earth Forces guys to basically point guns at Kira. Although it's not yet explained what a coordinator is, although it is vaguely implied that they're genetically enhanced in some way. At least that they are better than normal people. Kira explicitly admits that his parents were naturals and that he's a first-generation coordinator. Well, and Moo like, makes him think, hey, I wasn't trying to make a big deal. It's just that I saw the people who were supposed to pilot this, and they weren't nearly as uh, good as him. Also, I really like Tall steps in front of Kira, so we start to see some characterization on his group. Tall moves to defend him immediately. I mean, yeah, people almost point guns at Kira. Almost point guns? Actually, I realized they didn't actually point guns at him. They all readied guns. They never actually pointed them at anything. You should never raise your gun unless you're ready to shoot by standard firearm handling. So anyway, back on the Crusade ship, he's happy that Miguel got footage of the strike being awesome so people won't make fun of him. But he says, I don't know why its OS is so much better than the crap ones they had before, but obviously we need to take it down because it has a huge-ass cannon. <laughs> yeah, that thing's got a big gun. Yeah, they're actually all surprised that a mobile suit has that firepower, which makes sense because it's not a warship. 
Atherin wants to sortie out to go after Kira, but he doesn't have a mobile suit, so they won't let him because obviously they want to send out the guys who got beat up in the previous fight. Because clearly <laughs> they're the ones you should send on this super important mission because they want revenge. They're giving them D weapons, though. Yes, which are basically missiles. Yeah. Big missiles. Romeus stands up for Kira and basically says he saved our asses. Also, Don't shoot him. Also, clearly, he isn't with Zaft because he's here in a neutral colony. And it's apparently not that uncommon of a thing for coordinators to be roaming around in this particular country. Although, I'm not sure if it's important, but it's implied the coordinators are mostly allied with Zaft, which probably explains how they have managed to stand up to the Federation so far. It is important, yes. Mm-hmm. Kira being neutral, like I said, it isn't that weird, but people kind of assume if you're a coordinator, you must be working with Zaft. And at this point, we're basically like going... Mobile suits are hard to pilot because we made crappy operating systems. The implication is very much naturals just can't do it, which I kind of like. I liked it more when I was a kid and watching it for the first time, because that gives a reason for one faction to have mobile suits and one not. That's better than we just didn't build them. Yeah. At the same time, coordinators are weird. I like them. I like the idea a lot. We'll talk about it a little more when the exposition of exactly what they are comes up. But it is kind of weird that they can do it and the others can't, I guess. Although, like I said, I do like it. So anyway, Moo leaves saying, yeah, well, we're screwed. Lacrosse's an asshole, and he's going to come blow us up, probably. Because he just shot me down. Anyway, I'm going to go have a beer or something. Bye, guys. <laughs> beer and my last cigarette. And then we get to see the gins being equipped with D-class equipment or whatever, which are missiles. Which, yeah, and amount to a bunch of big old honking missiles. And the Reds who aren't after and explain how that's usually used for taking up bases, and it's going to be huge overkill. And it's probably going to destroy the colony, which Silverhair guy says, yeah, well, they deserve it. For being neutral. How dare you declare yourself neutral? Because he's kind of a douchebag. Meanwhile, green-haired guy is like, hmm, I don't take very kindly to that type of talk, but I'm smaller than you, so I'm not going to do anything about it. And then we get a very hectic shot of them trying to prep the Archangel for launch, salvaging water and, and all kinds of other supplies that they might need. So here's where we get a little more interaction between Kira's friends and the exposition about what coordinators are. Like Tyler said, they're genetically enhanced humans. I mentioned in the first episode how the Star Trek episode Sea to Space is a huge influence on this show, and coordinators are where that's biggest, because they are just the super soldiers that Khan's race is, basically. Although, is it ever explained, like, in what ways they're actually better? It depends Uh, person to person, so not really. It's very vague. But they're, in general, smarter, better at learning, better reflexes. Some of them have really good singing voices, hair color. (laughs) Cuzzy is basically saying... It's surprising that something that's impossible for us is just difficult for him. Yeah, like reprogram the entire OS. While in combat, under fire. Without restarting the operating system. How do you even do that? (laughs) How do we know that he didn't restart it right there? He punched a gin in the face, then restarted the operating system. Does it just have like a two-second boot time? (laughs) It is a war machine, and Kira told it to start in boot in two seconds. So as a programmer, how does this work as an explanation for how someone rewrites an OS in combat for you? Okay, I... An operating system for that type of machinery would, by necessity, be simple. I feel like it would take more than 30 seconds. Would it be possible to do a rolling restart on the system to make to input new code? No, you can actually rewrite... Um, it's actually a thing they recently introduced with Linux, is that you can actually hot-swap the kernel, so it can actually update itself while running, which is actually really... It's, it's kind of a new thing. So, it's possible, but writing the operating system in the middle of combat with one hand... Is I think he's very use both hands. Oh, does he? Okay, fine. Throwing off the gauntlets, using both hands to write all of his code. From the programming perspective, that's pretty redonkle balls, regardless. So, But this is power fantasy. 
That is true. But like he writes a whole new GUI and like, <laughs> man, he's like, yeah, no, this the user interface seems the same. I to don't me. think he ever. I don't think he writes a new GUI. That's possible. What did he actually change then? Like, what was wrong with the operating system? I think it just didn't maneuver very Techno babble. Or, like, not enough parts could move at once, maybe. I think I'm going to have to go with Zach and say Techno Babble. That's her excuse for it not working well. The operating system would have to have extraneous while loops. They never, stuff they never actually explain what was wrong with the operating system. You get a lot of people talking about how are they expecting to use this kind of machinery with this kind of OS? Maru did well, look drunk trying to pilot it. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, figured she was bad at it. It's me, Jeremy, host of It's a Gundam, and remind me to mention when the eye catch comes up so the transition isn't super, super awkward, well, like it is here. If you've been listening to our last few episodes, thank you very much. This is episode three, of course, and I want to thank everyone who's still listening for coming along with us. If you don't know, we are actually doing a contest. We are giving out, well, contest, we're giving away prizes. We are giving out a Master Grade Freedom Gundam 2.0 a copy of Gundam the 08th MS Team on Blu-ray, and a copy of the same on DVD. And if you want to win one of these three prizes, all you have to do is email us at Gundam at LastTimeOnVideoGames.com. Tell us what you think of the podcast, if you like Gundam Seed, if you don't like Gundam Seed, how great the Freedom Gundam is, and you will be entered. I also want to try using my Twitter more. Our Twitter is LTOV Gundam. And to help promote that, you can also enter by sending a tweet with hashtag Gundam Podcast, just saying what you think of the show. If you email us and send a tweet, that will be two entries. There will be only one prize per person, but it will double your chances of winning. Whoever we pick out of the hat first will get first pick of the prize. Second, we'll get to pick from between whatever the first guy doesn't pick. And whoever gets third will get what is left. So yeah, hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. You've stuck it out for three episodes, so that's a pretty good sign. I'm just going to go ahead and let you get back to it. Again, that's email us at Gundam at LastTimeOnVideoGames.com or tweet using the hashtag GundamPodcast for us to see. Also, if you could give us a review in whatever podcatcher you choose, iTunes is still not working when I'm recording this. Hopefully it is while you're listening to it. But if you could give us a review, that helps us out tremendously. And that might be another way to enter coming up. We'll see. Not saying anything. Just saying maybe. So, yeah. Thank you very much, and I'll let you get back to it. So, speaking of the OS, we now get our first scene of Nataral, Maru, and Moo talking things over. I'd never realized beforehand that that shot between the three gives you a pretty good indicator of Moo's character as opposed to the other two. Oh, the other two just... are more straight-laced. The uniforms are all clasped. Moo's got his sleeves rolled up, and the buttons are yep. basically undone and on his like jacket. And he's, like, reclining in his chair with his arms crossed. So they're discussing what they're going to do. They have to get out. Maru thinks they need to use the strike, but only Kira can pilot it, because now the OS is too complicated for a non-coordinator, and the old OS is crap. And Moo basically said he couldn't pilot it, even if it still had the old OS. So again, here we get some Star Trek influence. It's not a one-for-one, one, but Moo is pretty Kirk. Maru is kind of Bones. And Nataral, if you bang on her hard enough, fix in the Spock hole. <laughs> I was thinking Maru was actually more the Kirk. She's definitely the captain, but Moo is the cavalier guy who is going to be going out on missions. He seems more like the id to me. and therefore I don't the think Bones they fit role. into id, ego, super ego very well, but Nataral is also very military, more than logical. She wants to do things by the book, so she doesn't want to use Kira. Whereas Maru is kind of more of... Caring isn't the right word. 
she's willing to do it, but she's gonna feel guilty about it because it needs to be done. Whereas Moo is more of, let's take a chance because none of us can do it. Moo tends to be the middle between them very much, which is more the Kirk role. Maybe he should be captain. Yeah, but he doesn't want to be. So, and if he was captain, he wouldn't be able to go out in his sweet Mobius Zero. That is which true. Which they apparently just had spare parts for lying around in spades, given how many times that thing gets shot down. <laughs> What's even sillier is how many they decided to bring with them. Because, like, having all the spare parts makes sense somewhere on the base. The fact that they took up that much storage space on the Archangel with all the spare parts. Given well, they've they're only not got... transporting anything else. Yeah, they're designed for five mobile suits and they have one. Oh, wow. Okay. Never mind then. So anyway, back up in space, Atherin seals the Aegis and decides to go out in it. Borrows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Borrows with no intention of returning. Le Crusade is like, yeah, oh, that's cool. We get to see two Earth mobile suits fight. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> we get to see Zaft is very laissez-faire with their command. I, I think it's just him. No, I, it's kind of a general Zaft thing. I actually like, they're like, sir, we see a life pod with no life signs on it. Jettisoning. No, let it go. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, they see the jammers are flaring back up, and the Archangel now realizes they're going to be attacked again. And they're inside the colony, which they want to try and not destroy, so that's a problem. So meanwhile, Maru is trying to convince Kira to pilot their Gundam for them, but he's being a whiny teenager who wants to be neutral. Also, they explain that because of all the damage, the shelters are now locked down, and they just can't throw the kids in there even if they wanted to. So they have to basically keep them on the ship so they don't just die. And then Ramius finds out that they're under attack, and all the kids hear about it. And Kira is like, I'm the only one who can do it. This is so not fair. And they, actually, right here when they're talking about this conversation is when we find out that Mu has seniority on Yeah, and also he Maru. doesn't want to be captain because yeah. he doesn't know the ship is his excuse. And later it will be, we have two units. I'm the only one who can pilot one of them. So probably shouldn't be me. But for now, the Mobius is still too damaged to fight. So it's up to Kira, Kira to and the, the Lohengrin. And the uh, sledgehammers. I feel like this is a Godfrey to get used today. The Lohengrin is too powerful. Well, I was just naming equipment. And then Toll and What's-Her-Face, whose name I don't remember. She's got Marialia. A, oh, yeah, Mariaria. <laughs> <laughs> Are apparently dating, I assume? Yeah, okay. yeah that's pretty established. I just assumed they were friends and both had Kira as a mutual friend. So they decided to sortie the strike because Kira apparently agrees with them because he's like, you guilted me into this. To avoid putting more giant holes in the colony, they equip it with the sword striker this time. Which, which I is love a the sword and boomerang. I love the Japanese in this because it goes, sword the striker. Oh, it's a sword. <laughs> <laughs> because the name of it is actually an English name, and then he proceeds to speak in Japanese. So. Yeah. Well, it's like the blue eyes white dragon and the azure eyes silver dragon. <laughs> Which are Blue Eyes White Dragon and Blue Eyes White Dragon in Japan, but that doesn't really work in English. The Sword Striker is basically a thing with a claymore. It's a big sword. It's not a sword and shield. It is a big two-handed Zwee-hander And instead of sword. being a beam saber, which is kind of common for Gundam, it's like a physical sword with like a beam edge, which is kind of cool. It's cool. I didn't like it as a kid because I was like, why not just have a beam saber? But the more I look at it, it is pretty cool. It's also got like a giant sharp bit on the top it's also a much more like real like we could actually make something that does that yeah because it gundam beam sabers are weird they're not actually light they're like a pseudo energy that's made up they're cockerop particles or something minovsky minovsky particles yeah okay i knew it was some russian name but yeah we could actually make a laser between two bits of steel like that but as we'll see beam sabers are totally a thing and were invented before this ostensibly it's supposed to be better at taking out battleships I can see that, but because like, you got weight behind yeah, it. Yeah, but I don't see how weight helps you with a beam. It doesn't. It helps you swing it, and so you have momentum to carry through. Okay. And it means if you run out of juice, 
because it's a big heavy metal stick. Yeah, <laughs> you can still smack things with it. That's it's still fair. got some weight to it. That's Souls. fair. It's got the sharp bit on the end, too. So they identify the Aegis and a bunch of djinns have come to attack them. And everyone's like, oh no, this is important enough. We need to do a face cut. And Maru here confirms that physical weapons just don't work on face shift armor. Or projectile weapons, specifically. So Would a beam cannon work? Yes, it would. Okay. I think that's why they're deploying their beam cannons. <laughs> Details. So uh, Miguel is all taking charge. He's like, Atherin, show us that spirit that made you defy orders. And Atherin is just not into it at all. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, he looks bored. Yeah. Whatevs. I really don't like this shot. Again, this won't work for this one right here for people watching it. It just looks so static as we see Kira's friends watching on the main monitor. I actually, Where did the other people come from, too? Because the only people on board the ship at the time are supposed to be the uh, military crew plus them. They're not supposed to be any civilians on board. None that we saw. I it. think there were, like, mechanics and stuff. It might have been unclothed military personnel. That's like, true. That's entirely possible. I actually really like that static shot because it shows how powerless the civilians are to do jack shit. What I don't like about it is how some of them are moving and some of them aren't. And, like, I mean, that's oh. just animation, but it just looks really... That like part of it. painted on to me. Okay, I understand where he's coming from. I, I like the, the story. idea it's behind the... the shot as well. It's the execution. Does Maybe he that. use any of the other kit on the sword striker? Because it, it's highlighted by the big old sword, but it's also got like a grappling hook on it. Yeah, he doesn't use the grappling hook. This and fight. he does chuck the boomerang. Though. Yeah, yep. Which is he also a cool uses beam like boomerang thingy. I didn't know it was a boomerang. I thought it was just a beam saber, and he just like hucked it and like, okay, well, that was stupid. <laughs> but also in this series for Gundam, the shield is really useful. So immediately, Kira engages Miguel in the Jin, who fires like a beam at it and hits the central column supporting the colony. I'm not entirely sure what that column does, but it looks helps. important, right? Yeah, it does it, look important. It helps keep the colony in one piece. I'm not sure how it does that, I guess. But it doesn't matter. People are really terrified when it gets hit. Kira is incredibly concerned about hitting the colony, despite the fact that he's got a sword. It's really hard for him to hit the colony unless he's trying. I think his concern is more that, obviously, this guy keeps hitting it, and he keeps evading, which he kind of has to. Miguel is firing these giant-ass energy blasts from a rifle, and Kira's just like, buckler. Buckler. Yeah, the shields are really good at stopping beams in this series, which I actually like because it's it gives them a use. Ceramic ablative armor. And it makes sense given the, you know, the armor stops physical weapons, I have the shield for beam weapons. It adds stakes and I think it's cool. The Jins start deploying their D-type weapons, which are giant missiles. They actually make a really cool launching noise, too. And the Archangel mostly shoots them down with Vulcans, although they're apparently getting hit, even though you never really see them getting hit. Oh, there are totally other civilians. Oh, no, never mind. That's inside one yeah, of the shelters. Yeah, that's the shelter. Yeah, we see inside the shelter Kigali was in, and the important thing is they can be ejected as escape pods, we learn, Which... and they might be if the battle gets harder. Yeah, so Kira's fighting Miguel and continuing to miss with the sword, even though he's easily dodging all the shots he's firing. Kira's clearly not that good at using that sword yet. And at this point, Athrun joins the fray, and Miguel's like, hey, flank him! And Athrun's like, yeah, I guess... So Kira grabs the boomerang, which we don't know is a boomerang at this point, throws it, Miguel dodges it, it's like, lol. Of course, like all boomerangs, it comes back, uh, setting up for Kira's first kill. The boomerang takes off the legs of Miguel's djinn, and then Kira cuts him in half. And while the djinn is stunned, yeah, Kira goes in with this awesome, like, diagonal downward slice. The action shot is fantastic. That is a really good shot you paused on. I know you were, <laughs> like, but that is just a really good shot. <laughs> Like, the entire scene of him actually managing that first kill was just great. And I want to talk about Miguel a little bit, because in a lot of video games, he actually lasts a lot longer. And the original plans were for him to go on for a little longer before Kira killed him, to be more motivation for Atherin. 
but he's voiced by the lead singer of TM Revolution, who do the opening scene, and he had a bunch of other obligations, so they couldn't keep him around. They had to write him out of the show, basically. Yeah. So he's a very popular character for one who gets killed in the third episode. He's actually got a lot of personality for a character that dies that early. Yeah. yeah for- this is a thing Gundam Seed is good at, is characterizing a character swiftly so you can feel bad when he's murdered. And I do actually kind of does kind of telegraph some of them. Yes. I don't really feel bad for any of the other gin pilots, but I did actually kind of feel bad for Miguel when he died. So And so does Atherin, who yells his name. Yeah, like well, he got a name before him. Yeah, and then Atherin's like, Miguel, I presumably knew you for a couple of years or something. Moo manages to take out one of the gins with the Godfreets, which are the main laser cannons on the Archangel, oh. but he also hits the colony, which is and he's bad. like, Oh crap. <laughs> a bunch of stuff starts exploding. I would like to point out really quick that at one point, Moo has to ask for manual control of those lasers. Why would you not just have a button that's like, take manual control? Why do you need to um, He's mission? sitting in the CIC, which is where you identify enemies. So oh. it might be that he's not at the console for that, is my assumption. That's fair. So Kira and Atherin are staring at each other, wondering if that's who they are. And Nataro's like, hey, Kira, what are you doing? They contact each other. And then they have radio contact. Atherin's like, is that you, Kira? And Kira doesn't respond. And Atherin's like, it must be you. <laughs> is that you, Atherin? And they're both like, hey, why are you here? And the other Jin gets shot down by the Archangel. And accidentally all of fires its missiles, its missiles into the remaining supports of the colony. They've got plot-seeking devices on them. Well, yeah. I mean, and get used to these shots of transparent characters overlaying mobile suits while they yell at each other. That's fine, honestly. That- I actually like it. And then we're treated to lots of shots of the colony collapsing. I love how the colony breaks apart. Like, it's just welded together in spots, basically. That's actually pretty cool. All the shelters are shot off at, like, escape pods. They deploy in this cool spiral pattern around the cylindrical colony. The captain of Le Creuset's ship seems concerned, but he just looks determined. We see the Archangel being dragged back by the air running out, and Kira and Atherin are thrown out of the colony in opposite directions, yelling each other's names. (laughs) Uh, Explosive decompression. So I actually do like that they bothered to take into account decompression in this, because I've actually seen a lot of space combat series that they're like, oh, a hole got blown in the side of the ship? No big deal. Gundam likes to pretend to be pretty science fiction. It's a little inconsistent with it, but a lot of it comes into play. And that's where our episode ends. I felt like a lot more happened this episode, even though I think probably less actually happened. So We get the explanation of coordinators, which I think is really important. We get a lot more of Moo's characterization. And we get Moo, Nataral, and Ramius all in the same room at the same time talking about stuff. The colony explodes, which is also kind, kind of, of a problem. big deal. Yeah, now they're not in the colony anymore. They don't really have any other And Miguel died. But... And Miguel died. Yeah, actually, their Archangel's pursuers actually lost a fair amount of their force. So I want to talk for a moment about decompressed storytelling. Is that a term you guys are familiar with? That's a new nope. one to me. It's mostly a comic book term. And it's mostly used for comparing comics in the 60s when Stan League would write more ideas on a single page than most people do in a year of comics to modern comics where they're much slower, but there's a lot more focus on character development and dialogue. So plot pacing versus characterization slash exposition pacing. Yeah. I want to talk about it here because in the original Mobile Suit Gundam, they're on Earth in Episode 6. Wow, really? Yeah, more is going to happen in this series, but we will not be on Earth that fast here. And I think that's part of why it feels slow. You said it felt faster this time, which I think means there. I don't think it felt slow the first time. It just like didn't feel like a whole lot was happening. No, this one takes easily 10 to 13 episodes to actually get to Earth. Yeah, but also more plot stuff happens. But also the colony is destroyed in the second episode of Gundam, and we'll basically be at that point at the end of the fourth episode of Gundam Seed. But also Gundam Seed has a lot more characters. And we're doing more to develop them. 
Kira's supporting cast actually like have a relationship with each other outside of him. And then Atherin, and he has a supporting cast. That Atherin is really is a deuterogonist in this story, more than an antagonist. Although he serves that role, too. You're going to yep. need to explain that term. That's a new one to me. I don't know why I've never the heard it before. The protagonist is the first main character. Yes. The deuterogonist is an equally important character who is... Not the, the antagonist. Yeah. The tritagonist would be a third one. That's really rare. Oh, okay. I've never actually heard that term before. So you like this episode? Yeah. I mean, the action was fantastic. Plot stuff was moving forward. You finally get to see everyone's interactions with each other. Moo's a badass. Moo's a badass. Yeah, I love Moo. He's Moo's a great, great. character. Moo's so. great. Moo makes Gundam Seed <laughs> in a lot of ways. He's what makes it different and better than the original in a lot of ways. Atherin does a lot, too. But Moo is what I really noticed the first time I watched it. So I'm finally becoming accustomed to the non-mobile suit art in this. I still had problems like Kira's legs were abnormally thin for a while. He looked like he... He still has some dagger chin going on, but it's not as much. It's um, less it's, pronounced. It's not nearly as bad as Code Geass's. Could guess they're all really, really, really thin. Oh no, the character models, for whatever reason, just don't look nearly as detailed so, and it's still kind of jarring, but overall, this episode is pretty good. The series has been pretty decent so far, so. Alright, well next week we will be watching episode 4, Silent Run. But before we go, I want to add another mobile suit to our list of mobile suits. I'm going to let Tyler pick what we had this week. We saw both the launcher strike and the sword strike for the first time. Neither used all their weapons. Would you like to rank one of those? Yeah, I was actually thinking the sword strike was pretty awesome. I don't feel like we got enough of the launcher strike. The one thing really... the sword strike that we didn't really see is that its shield also has a grappling hook that it can shoot out to yank people. I feel like that doesn't get used much in the series. It's used a well, lot in the, the video games. The sword strike doesn't get used a whole heck of a lot in the series in the first place. Neither does the launcher strike. No. <laughs> I feel like the uh, sword strike is kind of limited use, especially in open space combat. Especially since in-universe it was designed to fight battleships, and they need to do a lot more anti-MS combat. We do. Get I feel like the sword, the sword strike gets the important parts, though. We do. <laughs> the sword does come up. Yeah, actually, I think to it does. To be fair, swords are a lot more personal, so that's probably an intentional choice. Probably. Yeah. So where do you think the sword strike goes? Better than the naked strike, I assume? It's got that blue on the color scheme, the big sword. Yeah, the big sword really makes it. It's pretty cool. It's an awesome sword. Do you think it's better than Le Creuset's high-mobility gin? It has those wings, it has a cool Gatling gun shield. I don't think I do. I'm kind of surprised that this... I don't know, I don't like the strike as much as the awesome gin, but... I like Claymore's. Yeah, it does have the claymore. That okay. is definitely pointed its favor. I didn't like the claymore. The boomerang is a cool idea, but how does beam boomerang work? The sword strike has the sword strike is disbelief. entirely on rule of cool, and that's fine. I like it a lot more now than I did as a kid, which is weird to me. But I think I agree, and I think we will put it below the high mobility gin, which is somehow on top of the <laughs> list and above the naked strike. Although we haven't done the ages yet, although we haven't seen it. A lot of it yeah, doing stuff. We haven't do really, and it hasn't done anything it yet. It hasn't done anything, and I want to at least wait until it does its main gimmick. Is it shielding? Because that's no, what Mages would think, is. <laughs> Why that do would they make sense. Why do they name it that, then? I mean, the strike. Because the Aegis is a cool name. It's supposed to be the command suit, so I think the idea is you protect oh, like, like in the, that way. The Greek Aegis? Yeah. Like, was it, suppo it was supposed to be the commander? Yeah. It's the last one they made. It's supposed to be the commander suit. And oh. Atherin's got it. Yeah. Some of them don't apply. In general, the Earth Forces name their Gundams after their combat roles. So Strike, Blitz, Duel. Wait, how, is, how are the Strike and the Blitz different? You'll see. <laughs> the Blitz actually makes a lot of sense to me. More than the Strike, honestly. The Strike is the, whatever we need, we put that pack on it, Sue. It's the most modular of them? Yeah. The Strike is your uh, grunt. To be fair, do they also, like, are the mobile suit names also in English when they try to say them? 
Yes, I believe so. Stood, yeah, that's why it's called Strike, because it sounds cool with a Japanese accent. Oh, <laughs> certainly. All the names are fine, I think, from a cool factor, but some of them don't work with that logic. Yeah, well, I mean, you're naming things after their position, and you run out of things. You're like, I don't know, it hits things. And, and we'll have the forbidden later. What? <laughs> Suddenly it's exploding godfinger time. <laughs> and the calamity, which kind of makes sense, but... The that's raider really name. does make sense. Yeah, the raider is obvious. The destroy does what it says on the tin. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that there's a destroy Gundam. <laughs> Whereas Zaft, when they start making Gundams, name them after abstract concepts like freedom, savior, and destiny. But then you have the Chaos Gaia and Abyss. I mean, clearly. And the Justice. Justice is an abstract concept. Well, I know. It just he was adding that to the, the list of first... yeah. abstract oh, concepts. Well, I didn't go through them all. You also have the Providence and the Legend. <laughs> what else does Zaft make? The Impulse. Do they just like Which isn't really an abstract concept. Basically. We'll get to that. Yes, we will. So anyway, I'm glad you like this episode, Tyler. I do too. It's very action heavy. I thought less happened in it. But like you said, a lot happens. I feel like two wasn't too bad, though. No, it really wasn't in retrospect. It just, like, while I was watching it, it felt so, but... So, maybe when it was over, I felt like, oh, man, that's it. But I realized it was kind of, I wanted more, which is probably a good thing, not... Yeah, and it's definitely happened. been doing that. I feel like these episodes are really short, but, I mean, they run in a standard half-hour time slot, so... I think that's just indicative of good cliffhanginess. Well, it keeps yeah. making you want to come back and watch more of it, which is good writing. Yep. I mean, certainly, I want to watch more of the series, so... Good job, Seed. All right, so we will be back next week with episode four, Silent Run. If you want more of our content, you can go to www.lasttimeonvideogames.com where we have another podcast, Last Time on Video Games, where we play old video games. You can also find old episodes of this show, our mobile suit ranking list. Sometimes we post other content, although very rarely anymore. No, we don't. There's Some, no other content I'm, on that site. I'm halfway, it's still there. There's no other new content. You can read my old reviews of Power Rangers comparing it to Juranja. All right, so we will see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>